So, Scripture, let's start right here, 1 Samuel. Read, read a verse of Scripture. Uh, chapter 3, verse 18. So Samuel told him everything, talking about Eli, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. Pastor, it sounds like you started in the middle of a, ser- of a story. I did. Okay, so let me back up and set this up for you just a little bit. The books of First and Second Samuel tell us events that happened during the lifetime of Samuel. Samuel was a little boy. Here we're in chapter three, so it's still, he's still a young little boy, okay? When he was born, though, after his mom got him up to a certain age, she took him to the temple and she dedicated him to the Lord. He is there serving the Lord, even as a, as a young boy. You and I would consider a very young boy. He's there serving the Lord, even sleeping there just down the hallway from the high priest, Eli himself. Now, Eli, even though he's the high priest, he was ignoring some things. He was not handling all of the business that he's supposed to handle. His two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, weird names they had back in those days, right? Hophni and Phinehas. Uh, they were actually serving as priests there at the temple as well. But they were doing some bad things, some evil things. I would even use the term despicable. And, and you can read it there in those, in those first three chapters of the book of Samuel. They were doing some despicable things. And Eli saw the things that his sons were doing, and he went to talk to them about it, and he said, sons, this isn't good. No good's going to come out. There's bad going to come out. You, you shouldn't do these things. And the Word of God says his sons did not listen to him. Now, I hear people say that today, and I've been hearing more and more frequently, I would say, over the past few decades. I have heard it more and more frequently, people saying, I try to talk to my kids, but they won't listen to me. I don't understand that. When I was growing up, in the house I was growing up, that was not an option. When my dad spoke, it was not an option if I listened to him or not. I think I need just a couple more amens than that. It just was not an option. I don't understand this. Now listen, if, if, if that's you, if you've said that in the last two or three weeks or whatever, that's you and that's just, see me after service. I got, I, got some, I got some direction for you. I got some counsel for you. I can help you with this, okay? Eli needed somebody to sit with him. Eli said, sons, you shouldn't do this. And his sons didn't listen to him. And so you know what Eli did? The best we can tell from scripture is then he just dropped it and went on. That's part of the problem. There was no follow-up. There was no discussion. There was no discussion about here's the negative, here's how this is going to work. Guys, this isn't going to be a good thing. And he didn't badger them and hound them. And, 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 uh, and we don't want to do that, do we? Oh, no, we can't badger our kids. We will drive them away from us. They will not like us. God didn't give you to your kids so they would like you. Respect, yes. But when you get respect from your kids, love and like is going to follow. It might not follow today, but somewhere down the line, they're going to turn around and they're going to realize that you are doing the right thing for them and the respect is going to breed love and is going to breed like in them if you do the right things. So you were given to them for that reason. Eli didn't get this. What Eli had rather do is like a lot of people want to do today, just ignore it. Maybe it'll go away. Maybe somebody else will fix it. Well, God tried to do that. God sent a man to talk to Eli. The man came. Uh, Some people say he was a prophet. Okay, he came and he prophesied. He said, listen, Eli, God has spoken to me and told me there's some things going wrong in your family. Your kids are doing this and you're not stopping them. And God says, they're going to die because of it, Eli. 
Now, this time, so, so Eli knew it. He, he tried to talk to him. The boys didn't listen. He dropped it. Now, a man comes from God. I got a word for you, Eli. You boys are going to die if you don't fix this. And, and you know what Scripture says? You can read it there in chapter 2. What Scripture says about what he, Eli's response is? Nothing. I mean, Eli didn't even say, didn't even say well, Eli listened or, or Eli didn't understand what to do. It just didn't say anything. The man from God, the man with the, with, with, with the word from God came and told Eli, and it doesn't say a thing about what Eli said. So Eli, again, obviously just ignored it. And so now we got little Samuel, little boy, in the middle of the night, God speaks to him. And you ever, ha- you ever heard your name called and, or you thought it was, you really, wasn't sh- you really weren't sure, and, you know, and so you turned and you ran or you started looking, who called my name or whatever? That was, one, that was what's happening to Samuel. Now, I don't know if Samuel heard the audible spoken word of God just out loud. I have had God speak to me in those moments like it was, uh, I want to turn around and see if he was actually sitting there, you know? But, but I've never heard him audibly, okay? I don't know exactly how it was, but here's what I know is I know Samuel heard him. He heard him call his name. And so he jumps up. He thinks it's Eli calling him. He runs down the hall, says, Eli, uh, high priest, do you need me? And he says, no, no, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And so it happens again. Eli says, no, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. It happens again the third time. And Eli says, hmm, maybe God's trying to talk to this little boy. And so he says, Samuel, if it happens again, don't come to me. Just lay there and say, speak, Lord. I'm your servant and I'm listening. Whatever you got to tell me. And so the fourth time it happened, Samuel's laying there, and he says, speak, Lord. And so God starts telling him what he told the man, what Eli already knew about how his sons were evil, they were doing despicable things, and they were going to die. Now, when he gets up the next morning, Eli wants to know what God told him. I I love how God did this. You see, if God had just spoken to Samuel and said, Samuel, this is God talking, Samuel would never run down down the hallway. But when he just said, Samuel... Samuel jumps up and runs down the hall. So now Eli knows God is speaking to Samuel. So the next morning, Eli says, tell me what God said to you, Eli, or Samuel. You know, and, and, and so now Eli also knows this is a thing from God. And you know what? Samuel didn't want to tell Eli. I mean, would you want to tell somebody, especially the high priest, would you want to say, God says your son's going to die, Eli. Would you want to say that? Samuel didn't want to tell him that, but Eli said, Samuel, God deals severely with you if you do not tell me what God said to you last night. So Samuel had to tell him. And he told him. He told him, your sons are going to die, Eli. And what did Eli do? Eli said, God is God. If he's chosen this and this is what's going to, then it's just let God do what God's going to do. That's the attitude of a lot of people today. We don't want to make decisions. We want to just leave it to chance. We just want to say, well, you know, the best is probably going to work out and all that and all that and all that. Just leave it alone. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe somebody else has got another plan. And, and I, know, I know what he's doing here. He's taking the easy way out to say, well, if God has already said it, then it's going to happen. There's nothing I can do about it. That's the easy way out. But that's not who God is. You know, the Old Testament, God looks like a much meaner God than he is in the New Testament, right? New Testament, man, he's grace, love, mercy, and all that. But the Old Testament, he just sometimes seems like a more judgmental God. But you, do you know what I see in the, New, in the Old Testament? I don't see a judgmental God. I see a God who, the word of God he, he even uses in his own words, he says that he repents. 
Now, repent doesn't mean saying I'm sorry for doing something. Repent means changing your attitude and changing your direction and changing your mind, okay? And so what God is saying is, and here's one of the times that happened, is God told Moses, Moses, I am so mad at your people. I'm so mad at the Israelites, I'm going to kill them. And so Moses, he goes with, to God and he, he stands in the gap, as we say, between God and between Israel and says, God, you can't kill them. These are your people. And the word of God says, and God repented. Or he changed his mind. He changed his attitude. You know, that's the God that we serve. And then in the New Testament, he's even more a God of grace and mercy and second chances. And so if God said, because your sons are doing these evil, despicable things, they're going to die, I believe he was open to a prayer from a dad. You know what we need today? Is we need some dads to step back into the gap between God and their children and ask God to, to bring his blessings again on our nation. Yeah, you go ahead and give God a hand of praise. God, we need that. Bring it, please. But we don't want to make the decisions. But not choosing is a choice. When you choose to not choose, you've made a choice. You know? Okay, imagine with me for a moment. You're sitting in your recliner. Is that hard for you to imagine? And you think, mm, I sure would like some ice cream right now. Is that hard? Is that hard? And then you hear that beautiful sound coming up the street. Okay, I'm really going to hurt some of your feelings because that is not the ice cream truck pulling up outside, okay? They're playing that over the sound system, okay? And you hear that sound and you say, wow, what a coincidence. I was just thinking about ice cream. You ever had one of those coincidences? And, and you think, maybe it wasn't just a coincidence. Maybe it's God. Oh, and so you just lay there in your recliner and say, hmm, God has got a plan to give me ice cream today. I'm just going to lay here and just see what kind of ice cream he brings me from the ice cream truck. And if you lay there, guess what's probably going to happen? That sound is going to get faint and faint and more and more until it's totally gone. Because unless God told you to sit there on your recliner, The ice cream man is probably not stopping at your house, jumping out, and bringing you an armload of ice cream to you in your recliner. Right? It's not going to happen that way. It doesn't happen that way, does it? You can't just sit there. And so just sitting there, not making a choice, is choosing to not have ice cream, to not have something sweet and wonderful in your life. Going somewhere with this, okay? <laughs> because today we're not talking about ice cream. We're talking about our lives. We're talking about our marriages. We're talking about our kids. We're talking about our world. We're talking about our communities. We're talking about the stuff all around us. And when we refuse to make a decision, we're sitting there and watching the blessings just run right by us. And they never slow down. And they never come. And that's where, most, that's where a lot of us, and I think most people in our culture today are, is we are not making decisions. And here's the thing, is we think making bad decisions is wrong. Yes, but let me tell you this. Choosing not, or not choosing to do the right things or not choosing the right things in your life can be just as destructive as choosing wrong things. Choosing, you know, refusing to choose. I mean, you're sitting there and you're not choosing to get up and go down to the street and stop the ice cream truck and tell him what you want and give him a couple of dollars. Not choosing, just choosing to not have that can be just, you're going to sit there just as hungry. A farmer 
who does not choose to put seed in the ground is not going to have a harvest in the fall. So not choosing to do the right things can be just as bad as choosing to do the wrong things. You're gonna st- you, you may be even worse off because you're going to end up empty. You, you're not even going to have any bad friends around you. You know, sometimes, sometimes it's, it's bad to have bad friends. Sometimes it's worse to be lonely. So not choosing is just, is just as bad. The people on the screen, or coming up on the screen right now, have two things in common that I know of. I don't really know anything about them other than they have two things in common. And one of them is not that their faces are blurred, okay? But they have two things in common. The first thing is, they were all on the Dr. Phil show. Now that I say this, they're all on the Dr. Phil. What did you think when I said that? Oh, wow, they got to be on TV. Is that what you thought? They must be some wonderful people if Dr. Phil invited them to his show. Is that what you thought? You need to go see the Dr. Phil show then. That's not who he invites on his show most of the time. These are the dysfunctional ones, okay? (laughs) These are the ones with problems. Okay, so here's the two things that I know. I don't know anything about these people. Here's the two things that I know they have in common. One, they were on the Dr. Phil show. And two, they did not plan to be there. That was not their life's goal is to be, they did not choose to have a marriage that was full of, of, of domestic violence and, and, and suspicion and envy and jealousy and mistrust. They did not choose to raise a son who would be an addict. They did not choose to raise a daughter who, who, would, who would be out of control. They did, not choose, they did not choose to end up the subject of a reality TV show. But here they are, exactly where they did not choose to be. And it's really, it's not because necessarily that they chose the wrong things. They probably, a lot of them, just did not choose the right things. And so millions of lives today, millions of marriages today, millions of hopes and dreams are being destroyed because, not because people are choosing bad, but because people are not choosing good. It's not enough to just refrain from doing wrong. You have to also choose to do right and to be right. And so the things that we know we should do, the right that we know we should do goes undone. It is time to man up and make some tough decisions. We say it all the time. If this was easy, little bitty girls would be doing it. There are no little bitty girls. I know of, there may be some of you sitting one in your lap. But you, most of you are grown men or grown women. Even those of you who used to be little girls, you're not little bitty girls anymore. We are adults. And we have decisions to make. We have choices that are laid out in front of us. And if we don't make the choices, we become a statistic. Part of the millions of lives are marriages, hopes and dreams that have been destroyed because we, it is time to man up. A year or two ago, I don't even remember exactly when I, I made this note, but uh, one of my friends, one of my buddies that was here for the wedding, we had a wedding this, week, this weekend, if y'all didn't know about it, and Hilton was here. And I told him the other night, I said, I'm going to mention you in the service, in the sermon Sunday. I said, I'm going to mention you, and here, here it is, is one night, I saw that he had, he had posted uh, social media, he had posted that, that Becca was out of town, and you know, and he, he kind of got in late, got dinner and got in late, you know, and so he was at home, and you didn't have anybody there, you know, and so it, it was a night I can play my PS4. 
you know, and, and I won't be taking time away from her. And, and so he's wanting to get it out and, and then he realized how late it was and, and realized how early he had to get up tomorrow morning to be at work. Oh, it's such a great night though. Becca's not here. I'm not taking time away from her. I want, I mean, all these things are going through his mind. And he said, I, I want to do that. And he posted, but no one had to go to work. I didn't turn on the PS4 and I went to bed and he put the hashtag grown man goals. Now I changed it to grown up goals, okay? Because we got some people here that aren't men, all right? Grown up goals. And he wrote that. I told him the other night, I said, I said man, I, I've, I've been saving this for a sermon for over a year, just waiting for it to fit. And here's where it fits, guys. We need some grown up goals. And if you will, if you will go to your favorite social media platform and search hashtag grown up goals. Let me tell you one thing you're going to find out is you're going to find out most people that are on social media have no idea what grown up goals are. One of the things they need to do is they need to sign up for a class on what grown-up goals actually are. It, it, it was almost laughable to some of the stuff that I saw and then they put hashtag grown-up goals. Those aren't grown-up goals. We need some grown-up goals and we don't even know what they are. So let me see if I can help you a little bit. Okay, here I got some quotes. Three of them are from the scriptures, okay? They're from God's holy word, all right? Proverbs, uh, the first two are from Proverbs. A little extra sleep. Oh man, y'all can set that goal. How about y'all? Anybody else? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. This is not a prophecy like, if you do this, God is going to punish you. This is a proverb that says when you just multiply and you just increase your sleep and increase your rest and you keep backing away from the things that you're supposed to do, the more and more and more that you do that, the more scarcity is going to attack you and come upon you. You, you need some grown-up goals. In, in Proverbs 12, 24, diligent hands will rule. Diligent. Those who are busy, those who are doing the right things. But laziness ends in forced labor. Let, let, me, let me give you a little bit of wisdom here, Okay. Because some of you are growing up without the benefit of having somebody pour into you. I don't know what happened to us, but some time ago, we stopped telling our kids the rules of the world and how the world works. So, so, so let me tell you this, okay? Let, let me explain a little bit of this to you right here. Is if, if you're struggling financially, and especially if you run your own business, or you set your own time, you know, and you set your own days and all hours and all of that, especially those of you in there. If, you, if, if your finances aren't strong enough to take care of where you are in life, if it's not, then the thing you need to do is you need to count up the hours you are actually spending working. And if they're not adding up to near 40 or over 40 hours a week, then you need to make some changes in your life. Okay? Now, if it's, if it's not worth, you don't need somebody to give you a $50 check because that's going to be gone in a little bit. You, you need... To, you need to have some grown-up goals, okay? Just like when Dave and I first got married, one of our first pastors was Leo Smith. And he used to like to say, when your income doesn't keep up with your outgo, it's time to cut back on your upkeep. Yeah, and here again, nobody's telling anybody this anymore. Moms and dads aren't telling their kids this kind of, I mean, it's, it's obvious when people are, you know, when, 
You know, one of the worst things is, the worst things, my goodness, and this hasn't happened in a while, so I go ahead and say it right now, and y'all won't, y'all won't attach it to anybody in particular. But, you know, somebody come, come and reach out to the church, and I got to have some help financially. And, you know, and, and then the next thing you do, you know, they're posting on Facebook about all this stuff they're doing. And it's like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. It's nobody else's responsibility for you to have a great life except you. Okay? So, if, 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 and, and I guarantee you this. If you don't think you can, sit down with me, or I've got some financial counselors here in in the house. They'll sit down with you for free. Open your budget up, and I guarantee you we will find some places to cut back on your upkeep. But that's the problem, isn't it? The reason we don't want to sit with somebody and open ourselves up to them and say, how about this? The reason is we don't want anybody to tell us where to cut, but we don't want to make the tough decisions. And we don't want anybody else telling us where to. That's the problem. And so we don't want to open ourselves. But if your income does not keep up with your outgo, it's time to cut back on your upkeep. And in this culture, everybody has some upkeep they can cut back on. Where we're living, what we do, we all got someplace we can cut back on. I mean, we can just reduce our bandwidth or something, you know, and, and cut back on some things. There's a whole lot of stuff like that that we could, but we don't want to make the tough decisions. And in case you thought, well, we're going to get in the New Testament, thing, and it's going to be grace there. And God's going to say, no, I'm going to provide for you, and I'm going to take care of you, and you don't have to do anything. In case you thought that's what the New Testament said, let me take you to a place in the New Testament. Paul wrote, he, he was t- reminding Thessalonians, he said, when I was at your church, the church in Thessalonica, he said, when I was there, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Man, that sounds cruel. No, it's not cruel. We all need to grow up and make some decisions. When you, and, and, you know, th- th- these are examples of things, things that our world doesn't know. It. Just, just a few things. Let, let, me, uh, let me give you the first. I think this is my first dare, yeah. And this is the dare for the day. I got a couple other dares for you, but this is the dare, okay? Right here. Got a couple others in closing, but here's the dare. Is I dare you to choose, but I dare you to choose wisely. I dare you to choose. Choose something, guys. I mean, if things aren't working out, then stop just standing in the middle of what you're doing and stop doing what you're doing. I mean, I watch you and, and, and some of you make decisions and say, I've made a new decision. And I look two weeks later and you're back where you were and you're still saying, I made a new decision two weeks ago, but it ain't working out because you made a decision, but you're not working with it yet. It, you made a decision here, but it's not here and it's not here and it's not here. You gotta, we got to make some choices. We got to make some tough decisions and do some right things. So, so. Let me give you an example, okay? I think I got time to do this. I, I almost didn't save myself time here, but I, I, re- I really want to throw this at you here, okay? Because we're, we're man, are we, we in an election? I think we're in an election cycle all the time now, aren't we? It doesn't seem like just constantly it is. Okay, there's, there's, there's a big election coming up. I, I, let me just share something with you because a lot of people think, well, Jesus never said anything about civic duty. Well, yeah, he did right here, right here. Matthew twenty two twenty one. 21. Um, let me set this up. G, uh, the, the Pharisees, the lawyers, they came to him. They were trying to trick him. They said, should we pay taxes? Should Jews have to pay taxes to Rome? Okay, you can see how this is going now, right? They were trying to trick him. He said, y'all trying to trick me. I mean, and he, he did a, that's a little, you know, my own vernacular there. But I mean, that's what, if y'all just trying to trick me, bring me a coin. Well, whose inscription's on the coin? They said, Caesar. And he says, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. He did not just say, pay taxes to Caesar. He said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So what he says is you are part 
of a community. You're part of a government. You are part of a system, and therefore you should rent. Now, I don't have time to talk to you about all the stuff going on here, okay, with all this and about how God allows and how God appoints and how God has leaders, okay? I don't have time to talk to you about this, but he's saying you're part of a system, so render to the system what belongs to the system. He's not just talking, he didn't say, if he was just talking about taxes, he'd have said taxes. He said the things, okay, so this is overreaching, the things that are. Okay, and so now, if you don't pay your taxes, you're wrong. You, you live in this country and you don't pay your taxes, you're wrong. You're criminally wrong, you are morally wrong. And the government and the rest of us are going to struggle in some way because people don't pay their taxes. You know, when you don't pay your taxes and a lot of people don't pay their taxes, the, the rest of us, the government and the people struggle because there's not enough finances, okay? But we don't live in that dictatorship that they lived in those days. So taxes is still not the only issue. We live in a democratic republic. And living in a democratic republic means that we have been given the privilege and responsibility to cast a vote. Because casting a vote is the way we express what we think is best for our country. But here's my second dare for you. This fits under the first dare, but here's the second dare for you. Is I dare, I dare you to start voting your values instead of your checkbook. Let me tell you why. Because as we were just talking just a few moments ago, why this is important for you to choose wisely and all of that, I want you to, I want you to follow this with me here for just a moment. It's because if Jesus says, render this to Caesar, the things that belong to Caesar, he's gotta have your taxes or your government's gonna collapse. Now, you, you, we can argue all night long about whether the Roman Empire should have collapsed or not, whether it was a good thing. It doesn't matter. Jesus says, your government's going to, you got to do this. You're part of this government, okay? Dictatorship, sorry, that you're part of this government. We are part of the, the government that is around us now. And so if he is saying that, and he says, and he would still say that to us today, then what he is he talking about? He's talking about we have a responsibility. And you know what has happened? I've watched this play out in my lifetime. I've watched this play out where, where, church, where church people, where Christians have stopped voting their values and they start, started voting what would put more value in their pocket. Come on, look at it, think about it. You, you know what, Christians today, we're, we're not voting values. We're voting for who's gonna put more money in our pocket. We're voting for who is going to have a budget that's gonna bless me and benefit me. And, and what is, you, you can't do this. You can't do this without reaping some benefit. So what is it that we have reaped now? It's because, and some estimates say 30 million Christians in America did not vote in the last president. 30 million did not vote in the last major election. 30 million. And so what are we doing then? Is, is the values that we hold dear as Christians, the values that this country was built upon, the values that made this country strong and kept it strong, we stopped voting for those and we started voting for the money that would come into our pocket. Who's going to raise Social Security? If you're over 65, you're concerned about that. Who's going to raise welfare? If, if, if you're uh, you know, a, a single mom, you may be worried about that. Or, or who's going who's gonna to help the 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 middle class and the uh, businessmen, the self-employed, if, if you're that, then that's what you're concerned about. And I'm saying, you need to throw all that out the window. Because doing that, we have been following what our culture says is how to choose leaders. And so what we have done is, in, I believe it's happened in my lifetime. What we have done is we have stopped voting based on our Christian values, and we have voted based on money, and look where it's gotten us. 
This is where we are in our country today is all we're concerned about is money. All we're concerned about is our stuff and having our stuff. And we got to have the stuff. I mean, I, 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 was, I was at, uh, at uh, Panera Bread before just about everything else opened uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And there were people standing outside the AT&T. And I said, my goodness, a new phone must be out or something. I know you guys, I don't have to have the newest phone. I, you know, I don't have to spend whatever you know it is to, call, to have the newest phone. But that's where our culture is. That's where we are. And, and then, but when we did that, is our culture has turned its, turns its attention to that. And what has it turned its attention away from? The values. The values. They've been, they've been stolen, ripping out of our society every day that we wake up. It's like somebody rips another one of our values out of the core of our society, tearing it apart, ripping it away. And so now today, our country no longer has the values that it had, that it was founded upon. We don't have it anymore because we, the Christians, it's not their fault. Don't, don't shake your fist at them until we start voting our values again. And but let me tell you this. Here's the reason you need to stop voting. All that other stuff is really important. You need, we need to be voting our values. But you need to get your mind off your money here because let me tell you something. I'm a child of God. And my source is not the government. And all those 20-something people that have run for the president in the last year or so, they are not my source. There is nobody that's going to be able to take care of me like the one who is my source, the King of kings and the Lord of lords who sits on the throne of heaven and he owns everything of this world. He says it, kings, kings are exalted and kings are brought down. He says it, people live, people die. He's in charge. He is my source. And the church needs to remind themselves again that God is our source. And we don't vote based on finances. We Vote based on the values that God has given us. Amen. So, so, so let, let's, let's bring this home. Let's bring this home. So what are you sowing? What are you sowing in your marriage? I, I, I've counseled with a lot of people. And I know the first thing to do is to point your finger at the one sitting across the breakfast table from you. But before we start pointing fingers at the one sitting across the breakfast table, we need to ask the question, what have I sown into this marriage this week? And whatever you have sown into your marriage this week, is it going to bring the result when you sow, what you, the seeds that you have planted in your marriage, your attitude, your thoughts, the things you have said, the things that you have done, or the things you haven't done? Those seeds, are they going to bring the result that you want? And if the answer is no, then change seed. I mean, we've said it over and over and over. It's, it's the definition of insanity. It's when we keep doing the same thing over and over and over, expecting a different result. If your marriage is in trouble, sow some different seed tomorrow morning. No, don't wait till tomorrow morning. Sow some different seed on the way out the door today. Because some of you, your marriages need it real quick. What are you sowing into your kids? What are, you, what are you sowing into your children? I mean, there, 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 there's, a, there's a, a, a lie in our culture today, and it's gotten into the church, that I can be a Christian without the church. Really? I thought when you became a Christian, you became part of the church. You see, you can't. And so you know, you know what is crept? And here's what's happening in, in a Christian society, our Christian culture today, is what we are doing is we're getting to the place where we think we can do it without the church, without the benefit of the church. And so we're doing it, and then what we're doing is we're teaching our kids, because everything we do in front of them, they're picking up on, we're sowing seed in them. Every time we do something, we're, they're watching. We are sowing, and it's going to reap 
It's gonna come up. There's gonna be a fruit come out of that seed all the time. We, we're doing this. And, 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 and what happens when, when we, we sow those seeds and, and they, 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 they come up and it's the wrong thing. What happens when we sow those seeds like this lone wolf Christian mentality that I can serve God without the benefit. What you're doing is you're telling your kids you don't need other Christians and you don't need a place to be accountable and let me tell you something, if you make it, if you can do it, if you can, if you can do it and you can be that lone wolf, you can be that Elijah who's having to run here and there and run and run and run and run and you can be that lone wolf without having anybody else around you. Thank God you can do it. But your kids probably can't. You need to look and see the commitment level, the consistency, not just with church, but just with your marriage. I look around and I see how, how, how blessed my family is. And I say, God, why, why? And I think about the stuff that was modeled for me. I am blessed today. There's my wife sitting right back there. My son was right back there, there somewhere. His wife is sitting somewhere in the room. His little girl is in kids' church. My daughter is over in kids' church. My, her husband, my son-in-law, is back there running the sound system. And standing next to him looks like my grandson right there, and he's standing right next to him, and his older sister, she's back in kids' church. And even my mom and my dad, are, let me tell you something, I am blessed. There's not a lot of people that can say every single member of my family is in church with me today. It's how in the world? It's not what I did, but you know what? There were some things modeled. What are you sowing into your kids? What are you sowing into your, your finances, your vocation, your, your business? Let, let, me, let me say this one real quick. Oh, man, I'm, I'm going to be over time if I don't hurry. Let me, let me say this real quick. Is, you know, people who sow, word of God says, you become a reaper. That's, that, that seed's going to come up. You're going to reap something good if you're sowing good seed. In the same way, people who give become receivers. So whatever you give, if your business ain't, maybe you ought to start looking at, am I, am I a taker or am I a giver? Yes, even in your business. Because even business is not about get all I can, can all I get. That's not what it's about. God didn't call us to be Christians on Sunday morning and, and do it the world's way the rest of the week. Mm. Got more questions, you can ask me about that one. What are you sowing into your worship? Sproul said this, the pursuit of God is not a part-time weekend exercise. If it is, chances are you will experience a part-time weekend freedom. Okay, that, somebody, the light just came on with somebody. Wow, is that my problem? Probably. If this is, this is just a one hour and 15 minute thing for you to worship God, then yeah, that's probably part of your problem. That song we were singing, in the first service, I thought it, so I thought it in the second service as well. That one about, uh, about uh, God, uh, the great I am. You know, I almost wanted to just stop them and come up here and say, look, some of you guys are really struggling through life and you don't understand why God doesn't show up. Let me tell you how to make God show up. God loves your praise. So start praising him. And not just right now, but praise him all week long. And you know what happens? When you start praising him, you start lifting him up, right? You know what happens when you start lifting him up? The psalmist says, let God arise and his enemies will be scattered. And so when you begin to pour that kind of stuff, when you begin to sink that kind of stuff into your worship of love and, and serving him, then all of a sudden some great things begin to arise and God arises in your life. Man, start, start, start sowing into your worship. And, and lastly, what, what are you sowing into your, into your spiritual life? Go on to the scripture. It's on the next slide. 
John 8, 31, 32. Um, I used this real quickly last week, but I wanted to show you one more thing with it. What are you sowing into your spiritual life? That's the, that's the question we're on right here, right? To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We love that last part, right? The truth will set you free. We want to be free. God, make me free from this, free from that. I want to be free from my problems. I want to be free from the, the pain. I want to be free from the struggles. I want to be free from the yesterday. I want to be free from, from the things that are binding me. I want to be free from the stuff that is, that is tormenting me and torturing me. I want to be free from that person at work. I want to be free from, I want to be free. We all want to be free. Okay, but look, there's a progression here in this verse. We want to jump to the end. You don't get to do that. There's some sowing here before there's a reaping of freedom. And, the, and look at it. Freedom is preceded by knowing the truth. If you're going to be free, you've got to know the truth. And knowing the truth is preceded by really being his disciples. And really being his disciples is preceded by holding to his teaching. So if you want to be free, here are the seeds that you've got to sow. Hold to his teaching. You've got to be sowing his teaching into your life. Into your, into your spiritual walk, you've got to be sowing his teaching. And so you're holding on to that. You're, you're sowing it, sowing it in here and holding on to it. And, endear, and when you do, you become his disciple. And when you become his disciple, you know the truth. And when you know the truth, it, you're set free. It goes away. It's a progression. You don't get to jump to that. You've got you to make some choices in your life. And some of you got to get rid of some stuff. you got to get rid of some folks. you got to get rid of some people. I mean, like doing, you know, the budget thing about needing to cut back on some stuff because it, it, it's, it's stealing from this. You got, some, you got some folks that are stealing from your joy. Man, just, man, cut those folks loose and let God, let God bless them with somebody else. You, you, need, you need to make some tough decisions and choose some things. Can I get you to stand and come to the front with me? If you're a first-time attender, we'd like to close around front with a final song and a final prayer and I got a final point before we get there. And we'd love, if you're a first-time attender, we'd love to have you join us. If you're comfortable, please, please do so. We don't do anything weird here. We're just gonna sing a last song and pray here at the front. Okay, I'm gonna try to wrap this up in a hurry here real quick, okay? But one, one, last, one last thing. What are you sowing in your, into your relationship with God? Let me tell you the story really, really quick. After Jesus was crucified, after he rose from the dead, a couple of his disciples one day were on their way to a place called Emmaus. Weird word, isn't it? Emmaus. If you ever hear the word Emmaus, Emmaus road, the, path, the road to Emmaus or anything like that, this is the story it's talking about, okay? On their way to Emmaus, Jesus appears. Now, I don't, I don't think he does it in like a magic way because they would have said, oh, wait, where, where did you come from? But they didn't do that. They just started talking, okay? So they just, obviously, look, he just kind of happened up on them or something. They started talking. He started asking questions. They started asking questions. And then he started really pouring into them and started sharing some things with them, so much so that when they got to their destination, they begged him, come in, come in with us. And so he went in. And they sit down, and then all of a sudden, they realize it's Jesus. And as soon as they do, boom, he's gone. And they looked at each other and they asked, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They had such a relationship with him that their hearts were burning when he spoke. Even though they didn't recognize him even at that moment, but their hearts were burning. Here's, here's my last dare. I dare you 
to have an Emmaus kind of relationship with Jesus. I dare you. I dare you to let it be more than a form of, okay, it's an hour and 15 minutes I'm giving to you on Sunday morning, God. Check it off, got it done. Now you gotta bless me. That's not the way it works. I dare you to have an Emmaus kind of, have a, have a oh, we, got the, we got the perfect song this morning, okay? Got the perfect song for this. L- let, me, let me share this with you. It just, just occurred to me last, last night because, you know, I've done, I don't know how many weddings I've officiated in my lifetime. Somebody asked me the other night, I'd, I'd have to guess on the low side, 40, 50, something like that. I don't know. It's been a lot. I, I used to keep a list, but you know, I, I don't even know if I have a full list anymore. And a lot of them are almost like just going through the motions. It's kind of almost sad how some of them are, you know, and it's like, oh, you, you know, and I, well, I, let me not say too many things because we got a lot of weddings coming up and I don't want anybody to say, oh no, I've got a word, I'm not worried, pastor's gonna think this about me. No, I don't want, them, don't want any of that, but it's almost like some people just go through the motions, you know? But Friday night, if, if you weren't here, Friday night, uh, I, I had the privilege of officiating the wedding of Jamie and Kyle. Yes, Jamie Whitty will no longer be our worship pastor at 2911. Jamie Hatcher will be starting next Sunday when they get back from their honeymoon, okay? And I got the privilege, and, she, and, and Kyle was standing here, and Jamie's here, and I really thought he was about to hyperventilate and pass out. And, and I, I looked into his face, and I started to say something to try and help him. And I, when, I, when I saw his face, I thought, if I say anything, he is going to bust out in tears and just, it, it, he's going to lose it right here. And so I didn't. Afterwards, people were talking about how he just kept coming up to him and crying and just, just overjoyed. My, my last moments with them, right before they changed clothes to get in the car to leave, was right here, and I went up to hug him and said, man, everything was beautiful, and I patted him, he was patting me, and I was releasing, and he was still patting me, and so I hugged him again, and I was releasing, and he was still patting and hugging me, and, so, and then I finally realized, I looked up, and I saw Jamie's eyes, and I thought, he's crying, so I just held him a little bit longer, <laughs> you know, and... Uh, Kyle really, Kyle really had to let his, let his guard down with us, all of us to see that this week. But you know why he was that way? Because he got the girl, the girl of his dreams. But to get that, to have that, you have to dream. You see, in a lot of us, we show up on, at church and we haven't dreamed all week about who God is, what God can do, who he can be in our life. What amazing things that if, if we try, what amazing things he can make happen in our life. So I dare you, have one of those kinds of relationships by dreaming all week, dream what he can, dream. Let me tell you something. I'm about to pray this again. I prayed it the first, I'm about to pray and remind God, God, I'm dreaming big things for my family. I'm dreaming big things for my marriage. I'm dreaming big things for my kids. I'm dreaming big things for my future. I'm dreaming big stuff. And then let him do this. And, and listen, don't start singing till you finish praying. And it's gonna be really easy to just slide from your prayer right into this song today. This is a perfect song. Prayer team standing here, we wanna pray with you. If there's some places you want us to pray about, some stuff that needs to be sown right, some great reaping that needs to, whatever, harvest, or anything in your life, we wanna pray with you. Please let us, okay? Bow with me.